Amen. Church, you may have a seat. Well, good morning. Thanks, band. Great job. Thanks to those in the back running all the things. We had some uh, last-minute fill-ins for people on the soundboard and people on the slides. And uh, one guy doesn't even know how to work a cell phone. He's like, I'll run slides. Someone else hasn't run the soundboard. So it's New Year's Eve morning. So praise the Lord. Uh, we, we're still having church. Amen? Amen. So thank you all for serving uh, last minute there. Really, really appreciate all those that stepped in to be here this morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, if you would grab them, open to Psalm 16. We're going to be in Psalm 16 as I was reflecting and thinking on what would be a good passage to really anchor our hearts as we look forward into the new year. This is a time where we, uh, we make resolutions. We, we, Jelana just talked about it. We have things that maybe we want to change. We want to look forward to making some adjustments. Maybe it's the extra uh, 10 pounds that you gained over November, December, like me eating uh, just all the wonderful feasts that we had over the holidays. Uh, maybe it's, man, I want to I jump into church more this year. I want to serve more. I want to be more consistent and faithful. I want to uh, have more deep and meaningful friendships. We have all these different resolutions uh, that we want to lean into, that we think about. Some of us even have traditions where this evening we're going to talk about those around the dinner table and we're going to share some of those resolutions. And those are great things to do. Uh, please continue to do those. Please continue to strive and think about how to better yourself, how to lean into things that are good and godly and true and worthy of your time and attention this year. But what I want to do this morning is I want to look at the words of David in Psalm 16. And maybe if, you, uh, if you're needing something to anchor your heart this year, uh, read Psalm 16 every morning this year. And let this petition of King David uh, ground and center your hearts, your mind, and your affections about who God is and who God is for you and who he is with you and where he's calling you to and where your hope comes from. It's this wonderfully, beautifully written, full of truth psalm that David pins for us. And so what I want us to do this morning and what I want Psalm 16 to do for us uh, as we look to the new year is have it anchor our hearts to say, where is true joy rooted? Where do we find true joy? And where do we find contentment in this world that seems uh, to be so elusive? All of us are chasing joy in some form or fashion. And Psalm 16 tells us the fountainhead of joy and tells us how to have true contentment. And so as I was praying for us as a church, uh, for those that are here this morning, uh, let's let these words ground and anchor our hearts into what is real reality. There's so many things, there's so many smoke screens, there's so many things that we chase that do not produce lasting joy and do not give us contentment even when we get them. Uh, but here we find the source. Let me read it for us. And then we will think through all of this uh, as David has penned these words verse by verse this morning. Psalm 16. Listen to these words. I think they might be on the screen. Oh, great. They are. Awesome. Nice work. Sorry, it's going to be an ongoing joke. He, we're okay. We'll talk about it after service. It's kind of a thing we have going. Um, <laughs> Psalm 16. Listen to the word of the Lord. Preserve me, O God, for I take for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, 
they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after other gods shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence... There is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. So the main point as I think about this psalm that we just heard, the main point that I think about as I understand it as I've walked through this is is this church, that God will bring you and I through life and through death to full and everlasting joy or pleasure as it's put here in Psalm 16. If, if, He is your refuge. He is your treasure. He is your sovereign Lord and your trusted counselor. Isn't that beautiful? So let's just walk through this psalm together here this morning as we think about the new year, as we think about all the things we're gonna face this year, and let's anchor our hearts and minds to these truths and think these thoughts with David as we walk through Psalm 16. He begins verse one with a petition with this petition. And it's it's important that we see this as a petition or a plea or a request. Um, Here it is in verse one. Preserve me, O God, David says. Now we don't know yet what he wants to be preserved from. We'll find out later in the passage as we walk through it. But he begins this psalm. He begins this, uh, this psalm with, preserve me, O Lord. This plea, this petition, this request in the whole psalm is shaped by David's plea for God to preserve him. And so just out of the gate, just verse 1a, church, this year, Would you consider pleading like David to the Lord, preserve me, O God. There's all these other things that I think will preserve me. There's all these other things that I run to that I think I need. I'm gonna intake and I'm gonna have them and I want them. Would you plead with David just right there, right out of the gate, I wanna challenge us to say, preserve me, O God. You are the only one that can. Preserve me, O God. And then David moves forward from this plea, from this petition by declaring and exalting who God is for him. By exalting who God is for him. Notice there's this connection here between his declaration about who God is for him and the initial plea, God, preserve me. So you can see this relationship between verse 1a and 1b. He says, preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. So the plea, preserve me, for I take refuge in you. Preserve me because, God, I've taken refuge in you. I declare, God, that you are a refuge for me. Therefore, preserve me, keep me, hold me. 
David is declaring who God is for him and what God is for him as the grounds, as the soil, as the reason for the hope that God will preserve him. And that's what he seems to be doing all the way through Psalm 16, verses one through eight. He's declaring and exalting in what God is for him as a way of strengthening his hope and strengthening his resolve that God will do this for me. Um, So here, David is remembering who God is for him. So let's continue to follow along where it leads us. Psalm 16, for in you I take refuge. He's saying God is a refuge for him. He exalts in God as his safest place. In other words, God, I turn to you. God, I look to you. God, I go to you for being the safest place for me to be. You are the safest refuge for me. The first thing that David does is declare and remember that God is his safe hiding place, his safe refuge. I'm turning to you, Lord, of all the other places that I can run to for safety, of all the other places I can run to this year for safety, security, for contentment, to be okay, to find my place, to find my hope. There's all these places we can run to. David's saying, I'm running to you. You are the safest place for me, God. I'm running into your arms. I am turning to you, Lord. You are my refuge. Now, uh, my sons and Ruthie, we just got back from a little quick overnight camping trip, but I've been taking them camping uh, for years and years. In fact, I may have told this story before, but uh, it, it was when Ethan and Owen were little. I think Ethan was five, Owen was six. They were a little bitty. We were camping out in the hill country and we were in the tent uh, we got up early in the morning because it started to rain. And we're like, oh no, we need to pack up our gear and get out of here because it's the, a storm's rolling in. I didn't know it was rolling in. <clears throat> and it just gets, it's, it's like morning, but it's getting darker and darker and darker uh, rather than lighter and lighter and lighter. And the rain is coming down heavier and heavier and we hear thunder in the distance and it's rolling in fast. And so we're gathering all of our things. And before we know it, this storm is right on top of us. And I don't know if you've ever experienced uh, a thunderclap and a lightning strike within feet of you. But if you have, it is unlike anything you could ever imagine. We are in this tent and a deafening thunderclap and lightning strike hit. It it couldn't have been more than just a few feet from our tent uh, because it rattled our ears. We couldn't hear anything. It shook the foundation of the earth we were standing on. And all we could do, it was like an involuntary reaction was, I just jumped on top of the boys. And all of us just started screaming. I mean, I, we, we, it wasn't like we thought about it. I didn't think about hitting the ground. I didn't tell them to hit the ground. It was like this immediate boom. And we just we hit the ground and, you know, Ethan's five. He's like freaking out, of course. So he's not afraid of storms anymore. I know they're right here. I don't mean to embarrass you, but it was crazy, right? I mean, you, rem- you guys were there. This isn't like an embellished pastor story, right? You can confirm this. This was so terrifying. It like marked all of us. And so from that moment on, we're just trying to, we, we get up, our ears are ringing. It's like a, a grenade has gone off or something. And so we're trying to, I'm trying to just get as many things into the car so we can get out of there. Uh, and 
Ethan is he's this little boy, right? And he just needs someone to be right next to him the whole time because for all we know, another thunderclap just like that's coming. And for all I know, a tree is about to fall on top of us, right? So we're all freaking out. And so Owen and I were like with Ethan and I'm with, the, you know, I'm just trying to protect them and stay close to them and just guide them into the car and get them into the car to get out of there. David is pleading with God here in that similar way. It wasn't like that happened and I was like, all right, catch you guys later. Y'all have fun playing out in the, you know, like they needed a safe refuge, these boys. And they were turning to me as their dad. And so I was trying to cover them up. I was trying to lay on top of them. And David is saying, God, of all the safe places in the world to turn to, of all the safety, that the safety net that I need truly the most, it's you. You are my safe refuge. And he's pleading with the Lord. I take refuge in you. Church, this year, of all the things you think that will bring you safety, of all the things you think will finally get you to the place where you're going to be okay, those can be good things, but they are not ultimate things. Turn to the Lord. He is your safest refuge this year. Would you run to him? Would you let him, his arms cover you? Would you let his wisdom, his instruction, and his care be the thing that protects and guides you? Verse two, David goes on. I say to the Lord, if you notice, it's in all caps. For in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, and he says the same thing again, you are my Lord. That's weird. Did he forget what he just said? Why does he say Lord twice? Well, we don't, our translation doesn't quite get it exactly the way it, it, it should read. But this is the, the all caps name is the name for God, Yahweh. I say to Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Exodus, the God that delivers his people, the God whose word is always true, the God who makes promises and always makes good on his promises, the deliverer, the savior, the rescuer God, Yahweh. I say to you, Lord, Yahweh, you are my master. Lowercase. You are my master. You are my Lord. You are the one who I will follow, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Yahweh. He exalts in God's sovereign rule over his life. You are the master of my story, Lord. David is remembering and he's preaching to his own heart right here, if you will, who God is. Yahweh is my master. Yahweh is my sovereign. Yahweh is my king, my Lord, no one else. And this is not just so when we start talking about God's sovereignty, his sovereign rule, his decree, we think, oh, here we go. We're getting into sort of doctrine and theology and are we gonna get, it just feels a little wooden. David doesn't think about God's sovereign rule over every nuance of his life as king and master, as something detached and just theological. It is theological, but it's deeply personal to him. Listen to this. Look what he says. Is it still up there? 
verse, yeah. You are my Lord. Mine. This sovereign one, this ruler is deeply, it's deeply personal. It's not just a detached doctrinal belief that we just sort of attach onto or we like to talk about uh, at a coffee shop. In his moment where he's longing for God to be his safe refuge, it is a deeply personal comfort to his soul. God, you are in control. You are my sovereign. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your promises are true. Your way is the only way, and you are in control. The second half, Psalm 16, 2, I have no good apart from you. God is his highest good. God is his highest treasure. Of all the other goods in the world, they are only good because God makes them good first, he's saying. God is my supreme treasure. I have no other goods apart from you, God. You are the all-satisfying good in my life. I cling to you. You are my refuge. You are my sovereign Lord. I long to be wherever you are taking me. And then Psalm 16, verse 3, he underlines and emphasizes God's value to him by what he says about God's people. This is beautiful. He says, when it comes to people, these are the people I treasure the most. These are the most excellent ones. Listen to what he says. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. So all of his delight, his joy, his pleasure. He doesn't mean that his, he's delighting in, in people over God. It means as, God, as David thinks on all the different kinds of people in his life. Remember, King David, influential of all the powerful people, of all the influential people, of all the other political leaders, of all the other uh, people that he knows in his life, of all of the people, even the ones that could scratch his back and could help him get ahead, the ones in whom he takes the most delight are the ones who treasure God above all else. He says, those are my people. Those are the excellent ones because they have made our God their delight. Those are the people, David says, I long to be with. I long to be around. So this year, as you think about 2024, church, we live in a very uh, isolated, individualistic culture. Um, would you lean into God's people this year? Would you lean into relationship this year? Would you get to know the people who sit around you? Would your heart just, just rise with joy like David's does and says, the people I long to be around the most are God's people because they treasure God above else just like me and my heart needs to be around those people. It's hard to make time. It's hard to find time. It's easy to come up with excuses. But in 2024, as we think on the new year, would your heart delight in the people of God? And would you find joy in relationship? And would you say like David, of all the people in the land, of all the people I could be around, these are the excellent ones in whom I delight to be around. What a great year it would be if we all lean into community this way, that Psalm 16 instructs our hearts to do so. 
Would you resolve with David to be with God's people, both in God's house and outside of God's house? Um, Let's lean in there. Verse four. (coughs) He kind of underlines his radical preference for God by putting it in the negative sense. So he's giving us all the positive. Now he's gonna put it negatively. So in other words, he values God so highly. He treasures God so much, verse four, that he will not run after other gods. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out nor take their name on my lips. In other words, David is reminding his own heart and mind and us today in the word that it is sheer folly to turn away from the all-satisfying God only to embrace these other gods that will leave you sorrowful in the end. Now, a lot of us don't set up little uh, false gods and worship them at home. We don't think about uh, idolatry uh, in our everyday life where it's not sort of in our common vernacular. And so we read this and we're like, that's, the, that's sort of antiquated, that's ancient people, they did that, golden calf kind of stuff. Well, church, uh, our hearts are little idol factories. Today, we can come up and make something in our own image to worship in 10 minutes if given enough idle time. And then we can chase that thing with our resources, with our time, with our affection, with all, with all that is in us. And some of us spend years doing that. Some of us spend weeks doing it, months doing it, years, decades. And then when we get it, it gives us nothing that we thought it would give us. David is saying, I will not chase after all these little things that promise and make big promises and cannot deliver on them because only God can. I won't even take their name on my lips, God, because that's how precious you are to me. I want my heart and my mind and my actions and how I'm running and how I'm living and what I'm doing to be all focused on you, Lord. I don't want to be filled with the dread of sorrow that comes from chasing after other things that are lesser than you, God. So for us, um, let's not spend 2024 chasing the God of money, thinking that once we get X amount of it, then we will have a safe refuge. Then we will be good. Then we will have X, Y, and Z. Let's not go and chase the idol of influence or the idol of whatever else it is, or power or comfort. If we can just get this house with this much square footage and then we will have whatever it is, fill in the blank for you. Um, They don't produce and they cannot produce ultimate joy and happiness. Let's resolve with David this year to not run after false gods and idols, but yet to, tr- to trust in and treasure the one true God. Verse five, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup, you hold my lot. So David's setting up a, a word picture here. It's like there's this big table spread out before him and there's all these delectable portions laid out in front of him, right? all these wonderful uh, portions, meals, all these cups filled with the finest of wine, with the kids, if you're in here, the finest of uh, soft drinks. You've got Mountain Dew, you've got Sunkist, you've got all of the, you've got IBC root beer over here, right? All the finest things are just spread out before you. 
And all of the portions are there. And David is telling us here. He says, I look over all of those things with every imaginable taste and I choose God as my portion. I just want more of him. I want to be overflowing with him because he is my treasure. Second half of that verse, for you hold my lots. In other words, when the dice are rolled, when the straws are drawn, where the roulette wheel is spun, however you want to kind of understand that analogy, God is the one that determines where it lands. You hold my lot, God. God, you decide it. God, you rule over it. It's not just by chance, though he's giving sort of a chance sort of analogy. God, you know everything. You know exactly the numbers on the dice, wherever it's gonna land. It's not random, God. You hold my lot. And I'm glad in it. And he doesn't just affirm it sort of stoically, like as just some mental assent, some doctrinal sort of understanding. He exalts in it. God is sovereign. He says, God is sovereign for me personally. Whatever my lot, you hold it, God, and in that I rejoice. Church, if you embrace him as your sovereign Lord, then verse six is is true for you. If you embrace him as your sovereign Lord, knowing that he holds your lot, he knows your days, he knows your life, He knows every last thing about you. He knit you together in your mother's womb and he knows everything about you, the story of your life, beginning, middle, and end. Then let this, verse six, content your heart if he is your sovereign Lord today. Verse six, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Isn't that wonderful? What lines is he talking about? Probably border lines, boundary lines that God has appointed for him in his life. David is saying, I am content with the arrangement of my life. Why? Because my life has been providentially ordered by God himself. My great refuge, my highest treasure, my portion. And then he goes one step further and exalts God for not only being his refuge, his treasure, and his sovereign ruler, but also as his counselor. As we think of the new year, let's remember him as our counselor. Listen to verse seven. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. So this is not an insignificant add-on, church. Trusting God as your counselor affects how you experience God as your refuge, as all the other things that he just mentioned. Trusting God as your great counselor affects how God is your great refuge. So in other words, what do I mean by this? As as David is unpacking this for us, God as your refuge is not automatic. It's interactive, he's telling us. So if we're in danger, if we're in sin, if we're in folly, God counsels us on how to escape that sin, that folly, or that danger. And how does he do so? By his revealed word. By his word. Psalm 119 later tells us, your testimonies are my counselors. So God, for us this year, church, becomes our refuge by counseling us how to walk in the way of life, not the way of death. 
through remembering his revealed word. So church, this year, 2024, will you resolve with David to make God and God's word your guiding counsel? Would you not just sort of feel it out? Would you not just walk through life and say, uh, let's, I don't know, let's just go this way. Would you come back to the guiding principles of his word, his eternal truth, and let his word be the great counselor for you so you know how to navigate all of the things you're walking in and walking through? So where have we been? We're almost done. Verse seven, four petitions. God, you are my refuge, my safe place. You are my sovereign Lord. You hold my lot. You are my counselor. And now he goes from petition, verses one through seven, to declaration. In verse eight and following, watch this, verse eight. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. So his refuge, this sovereign Lord, this treasure of his, this portion of his, this counselor God. He, this, this is at my right hand. Therefore, I will not be shaken. It's not a request anymore. It's a declaration. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. All of this God who I just explained to you who he is and who he's been to me. I will not be shaken. Contentment in the Lord. I can go through anything. I can walk through anything. I will not be shaken because I am contented in this one who has me. So the way I understand these verses as they are uh, penned together is verse one through eight begins with this aching and this longing, preserve me, O God. And it ends right here with, I will not be shaken. I will be preserved. I will be kept. He has me so I can be content. I don't want any other God. I don't want to chase any other things. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Amen? I will not be shaken. So the pathway from petition, God, would you move, to declaration, is resting in, is, is understanding, is, is exalting and being content and remembering who God is and what God is for us today. And I love this psalm because David begins his prayer, the very beginning of this psalm, like I begin many of my prayers. And maybe that's you walking into 2024. Help! Right, that's essentially how he begins. Lord, help me! Have we ever been, have you, anyone ever been there? Help, Lord. Okay, three of us. The rest of you need to be preaching next week, okay? That's me like it seems like every four days. It should be every day. But when you realize some of the situations you're in, you just, you cry out, Lord, help me. But what I love about David is he doesn't just stop at Lord, help me. He moves past Lord, help me. And he remembers and declares who God is for him. And we can do that too, church, when we pray. We, we, we don't have to stop it. Lord, help me. He wants to hear that prayer. He needs to hear that prayer. That's a humble prayer, but he wants us to move past, just help me, and we need to get to safe refuge. 
highest treasure, sovereign Lord, trusted counselor. And when we remember who he is and we're guided by his counsel and we're walking in him as our sovereign Lord, then we can get to the places where we can say, I will not be shaken. We start with the freak out, Lord, help me. And then we remember who he is. We remember his goodness. We remember his sovereign rule. We remember all the things he's brought us through. We remember his promises are true. We remember he is Yahweh and that he will always deliver on everything that he says forevermore. And then we can stand and settles our hearts and we say, I will not be shaken. We can have confidence. And then we arrive at verse nine where it says, therefore. Uh, David's building a ladder for us. So the first rung is help me. And then you are my God in all of these ways that we just talked about. And then I'm not confident in me, but I'm confident in all of who God is. And then the fourth rung of the ladder, therefore. And if you know anything about the scriptures and reading your Bible, uh, wherever you see the word therefore, it takes you to a whole new level. So wherever you see a therefore in the Bible, circle it, underline it, put little stars by it because something's about to happen. I will not be shaken, therefore, verse nine, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices and my flesh also dwells secure. So the petition leads to worship or the churchy way of saying it, exaltation of all of who God is, which leads to confidence that we will not be shaken, which leads to, therefore, deep, abiding, true, lasting, real joy. That's where we get joy. He's the fountain. That's where joy is found. Therefore, all of those things, Lord, help me. This is who you are. You are my counselor. You are the one I need. And it gets, therefore, I will not be shaken. Therefore, now I am filled. My whole being rejoices. I want that kind of joy where my whole being rejoices. (laughs) And my flesh also dwells secure. church this year as we think about the new year let's let our hearts get to that therefore let's remember all of these things let's cling to him as our treasure as our portion he holds your lot he knows your he knows you let's not be shaken by the winds of change that come our way And then the therefore, the result of that resting on your heart and mind in a very real way is that your whole being rejoices. And now we're at the point where David tells us where we learn what he's begging God to preserve him in, in verse 10. He says, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Death itself is greatest fear, our greatest fear. He's begging God, don't let death just be the end. And he's saying it will not be the end because of God. So we can have confidence in God and therefore we can have joy in this life because we know that God will not abandon you. 
in life and even in death. It's not just about here and now. That's part of it. But even in death, he will not abandon you. He is still your God. And you can have great hope. And you can walk through this life in confidence and not be shaken and still have your whole being just over, overflowing with joy because in life and in death, our God is with you and will not abandon you. You will not dissolve in the grave. Death is not the end, David is telling us. And when we have confidence in that, we have joy everlasting, which is why David ends this by saying in verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. There's the fountainhead of joy. In your presence, God, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And that's what David was pleading with God about in verse one. Don't give me up to death. God, I know you won't because at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. David's contentment and joy is rooted in a knowledge and personal understanding that God will not abandon him. And that's true for us today, for those found in Christ. Our joy in God as our portion, our safe refuge, our supreme treasure, our trusted counselor is the basis for our contentment and joy. And let that be the driving source of our contentment and joy in 2024. Um, don't search for lasting and joy evermore in all those empty dry wells that we so often run after. Go back to the word of God. Let him be your good counselor and let him re-aim your hearts to that which is really true and really good and really does produce joy because friends, those other things don't satisfy. Now one last thought here. Psalm 16 tells us that even death will not cancel out this joy, this abounding joy, this, this God that will preserve us. Why? How, how can we have at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore? How can David pray that? David did die. It's a really old book we're reading out of. If you just take it at just like literature level, you're like, what, what's happening here? How could he say that? At the surface level, like God didn't preserve him. He died. King David died. David trusted in the promises in the word of God. David knew that from his line, from his promise that God gave him, that there would come from his seed another king, an eternal king. And his kingdom would never end. If you were here during our Advent series, we talked through all of those prophecies. And this other king would defeat our greatest enemy itself, death. And death would not have the last word. And his new kingdom would be eternal. And David lived in that hope. And he trusted in God at his word that at his right hand would be pleasures forevermore. David's greatest hope, the thing that contented his heart, the thing that produced overwhelming joy in this life, in joy and hope, even in death, was the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't have his name 
But he hoped in him because God talked about him. God made the promise. Jesus, the Messiah, the long-awaited final king of kings, the one that came and swallowed death itself for us so that we would never see the corruption of death, those found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when death, everyone before turned into dust, Jesus, the future promised king, came and killed death for himself and all those that belonged to him and rose again. And now his resurrection is our resurrection. Jesus defeated our greatest enemy and therefore now we like David have eternal everlasting hope. Romans 8.11 says, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So here's the question in closing. What are the marks of a people who have this spirit who raised Christ from the dead that we will not see the corruption of death as David talked about in Psalm 16? Well, the marks of that person are the same that King David wrote about all those years ago, which is why he had a living hope. Will you exalt in God as your safe refuge, your safest place? Will you exalt in God as your supreme treasure? Will you exalt in God as your sovereign Lord and master? And will you exalt in God as your trusted counselor and go to his wisdom when you need wisdom in this world? And if the answer is yes to those things, verse 11 is true for us today, church. For you make known to me the path of life in your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray together. Lord, your word is so good. God, I pray for each of us in this room here this morning that we would, we would have you as our safe refuge. Lord, that we would have you as our treasured portion that we would cling to you as our sovereign Lord and that we would have abiding and lasting joy in you, Lord, because Jesus, you have defeated death for us. And now in life and in death, we know that there is joy everlasting promised to us for those found in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, today, let it be a fuel for us into the new year to think on these things, to read Psalm 16 every day if we have to, to remind ourselves of the truth of who you are and what it produce in us and make for us a people of lasting, tangible joy in you, God. Your promises are true. You will never fail us. And Jesus, thank you that you came and one day you will come again and we are filled with hope and joy everlasting of you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Church, we stand and worship our risen Jesus today.